Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Oh, no! Oh, boy! Ah, here it comes! The motherfucking loud spot! Loud spot. This is your Southern Flame, Don McIntyre, and we are here with Alex Carr from Envision. How are you hey. doing today, Alex? I, I'm doing good. I'm a little tired. We had two shows the last two days, and uh, so now I'm taking I a little bit of time before I get back into the work swing. You've been a busy dude. I've seen you just everywhere. Yeah, we, uh, we've we got 10 shows we just announced from uh, you know this Friday until the end of the year. One show mm-hmm. that we have left to announce that's going to be super great, and uh, uh-huh. we're already booking 2023, talking about the next projects, next steps, and what's coming up as far as release schedule. Um, so I tell people all the time, even when you don't hear from Envision, like there is always something going on with Envision. Right. Well, there was something that I was blessed to be a part of with Envision, and that was the massive night of rock in Biloxi. I got to meet you for the first time in person. Yes. And it was for a great cause. It was for Make-A-Wish. And that brings me to the subject of why we're here today. Absolutely. Um, you've got a tremendous um, story to tell that a lot of people are likely not aware of. I was unaware of until I spoke with you. And it's a message and a testimony that I believe should be heard. So back to the Make-A-Wish. They granted a wish for you when you were a child, correct? That's right. Yes. Okay, now I'm going to let you take the lead and you give us the backstory on how that came to be. So, um, yeah, so when I was uh, when I was born, um, I I would get sick a lot. And um, mm-hmm. and it actually it's funny because it, it actually started as soon as my mom stopped breastfeeding. It was almost like, you know, her immune system was making up for mine. And, uh, yeah. we didn't, you know, we didn't know that. So I started getting sick and then at first they thought I had asthma and then I got adenoids in my sinuses. And mm-hmm. so, which that sometimes happens with children and the yes. procedure is to cut them out, mm-hmm. but they grew back six times. What? Um, they yes. grew back? They grew back. And, and wow. the, the sixth time they grew back, the, it was actually, it wasn't my medical team that discovered the issue. Mm-hmm. It was because they thought I had some type of severe asthma and, right. Um, I actually like as a teen I, or as, as a young child until I hit puberty, I was very, very overweight because they were pumping me with steroids to steroids. treat the asthma mm-hmm. um, and I didn't need it. So my body just fluffed me up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and 
it was my sinus doctor that did the surgeries that he was like, something's not right here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run a panel. And that's when they discovered that I had an autoimmune deficiency. Um, Explain that, what that is with your autoimmune deficiency. So an autoimmune deficiency is basically where something in your, uh, in your, um, immune immunosupport system, you know, Mm -hmm. like your, what are they called? The uh, lymph nodes and everything. Uh Right. Where something in that doesn't work. Um, HIV Mm -hmm. is a viral autoimmune deficiency that is Mm -hmm. passed through sexual contact. Um, and so a lot of people like, like even as this was in the nineties, right. Mm-hmm. So when people heard I had it, they had it, there was a kid with an autoimmune deficiency. Like everybody thought I had AIDS and yeah, they like, automatically jumped to that. Cause it's, it's not something commonly heard of. Right. But it, it is, especially now because Crohn's is an yes. autoimmune deficiency, mm-hmm. you know, and people don't realize that like there's, it's so many different ways that can be attacked. Like HIV, yes. So is a virus that attacks your lymph nodes and attacks your white blood cells. And that's mm-hmm. how it works. It weakens your immune system. Right. Um, and uh, Crohn's disease is a one that attacks your digestive system and all that. And I don't know too much about it. So I'm not going to speak right. on it. What I had was called, um, and we discovered it later at first, they just said a broad spectrum autoimmune de- deficiency. Right. They didn't know exactly what it was. They just knew that my immune system wasn't working. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, when I was seven, um, this was back when they had a live vaccine for the the flu virus. And I think yes. it was like around 1999, 2000-ish is when they like mm-hmm. switched to the dead dead virus because right. the technology met. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, 2000, they were still using a live vaccine and actually caught the flu from the vaccine. And that's when they oh. did further testing and they realized, no, this isn't just a random autoimmune deficiency. He has mm-hmm. what is known as severe combined immunodeficiency, which basically means that um, it was in my, the issue was not a viral thing or anything like that. It was in my Mm -hmm. genetic makeup where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of us have DNA and then Mm -hmm. there's RNA and RNA is what tells your body what to make. RNA is what makes your proteins, what makes your blood uh, Mm -hmm. cells, your white blood cells. And it's in the same way that, um, you know, uh, Down syndrome is a uh, issue with the RNA sequence where mm-hmm. you have an extra chromosome. Right. Uh, and, and similar to that, somewhat, um, it didn't affect, you know, my mental capacity, but what it did is that um, there was like a missing link in my genetic sequence that told my body to make white blood cells. Right. Um, and so we, all of us have three different types of, of white blood cells. So when you go to get a mm-hmm. medical test to test your white blood cells, they do a count of three different types, which is like, I think it's like, it's, it's all IG. It's like IGAs, IGGs and IGIs mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Well, my body only had the instructions on how to make one of those. Wow. So my, my system was effectively functioning at about 25 to 30% of the immune response that anyone else has in the world. Wow. Um, so you can be, you could be around people that sick and just, well, then. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not only that, I was allergic to damn near everything. I was allergic yeah. to dust. I was allergic to several metals, uh, all kinds of things because I, it's not what we discovered later is that it, mm-hmm. I wasn't allergic. It's that, all of us, we have immune receptors that help us breathe in dust. We have mm-hmm. immune receptors that help us fight off um, 
you know, metallic interference with her body and all mm -hmm. these things, but it portrayed itself as an allergen because right. I did not have the immune system to accept those things. I couldn't play in the mud uh, right. I, as, a, as a boy. I couldn't oh get dirty. God, right? That had to be hard. It's all I knew, you know, so I, I, I didn't know any different. Um, right. Shoot, for the longest time, like, I think I was, I was, like, pretty old when I started, like, wiping myself because, like, my mm -hmm. parents were afraid that, you know, if if I had to wipe my own behind, then the bacteria from my own load, which is, you know, that's kind of gross, but they were, Dude, that's how intense it was. That, you know, Everybody's shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that I wouldn't be able to handle the bacterial load. Right. Um, and... Like my family would order pizza and they would all be eating pizza and I would go to the fridge and I would make myself a little veggie plate because of, oh. you know, um, the the amount of unhealthiness that's in pizza right. would potentially negatively impact my body. Um, mm -hmm. And then if that lowered my immune system at all, you know, like the average person gets a common cold, they take some Robitussin or Tylenol or something and, mm -hmm. you know, they go lay down in bed and then they're fine. But right. if I had a cold, that meant an immediate um, go to the stuff. ER and usually mm -hmm. hospitalization for a week. Uh, wow. So how old were you when um, you were so sick, when you found uh, out you were so sick? So we, my mom stopped breastfeeding. I was like somewhere around two and a half and mm -hmm. three. And that's, that's when I got sick, very sick for the first time. Right. Something I, I didn't actually tell at the night of massive night of rock is when I was three years old, I actually died for the first time. Wow. Uh, so you coded. Yes. Um, and I actually Ugh. died three times. Um, twice was an, on, on an operating table. Um, I coded out. They tried to resuscitate. They were unsuccessful. They put their heads down, like put something over my head, walked away, called the time, and then the monitor started beeping. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, the third time I like... I was like, it was the last time I died. Um, oh. I, was, I was like five and a half or so. And we were at my grandma's. It's, it's kind of funny. It's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Um, I took a nap on her couch and um, my, my mom went in to check on me because um, they were all talking or whatever. She went to check on me and mm -hmm. my face was blue. And she checked for a pulse and there wasn't none. And you got to realize that I had a team of specialist doctors. Like my... My team of doctors was uh, neurosurgeons and autoimmune experts yes. around the world. I had a team of 15 doctors and only two of them were Americans. So like wow. we couldn't just go. This was in Natchez, Mississippi, four hours mm -hmm. away from home. And we couldn't just go to a, a Natchez is a little bigger now. But back then it was still kind of like backwoods. Mm -hmm. We couldn't go to the doctor there. So right. she like threw me in the back of the car, passed out. I've got no pulse. Oh, and my God. At some point it came back, but she, she made a four and a half hour trip in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mom for you. I tell you, she yeah. was living a parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. Well, she, she actually got pulled wow. over and like, it, it gets better. She gets pulled over and they're like, ma'am, do you know how fast you're going? She's like, my son is dead. I need to get him to his hospital in New Orleans. So then, like, so about, you know, 20 minutes in, she gets pulled over. And then the rest of the trip, she has, like, a full police escort. Escort. Like, that four cars okay. going, like, probably 100 miles an hour. <laughs> wow. Um, so it was, yes, 
that was kind of cool. And then they somehow that's intense. To this day, I don't know how I survived that, but I I did. Um, and that so I mean, this started as as early as I was three. We were mm-hmm. uh, I was taking gamma globulin um, intravenously, which is mm-hmm. a artificial immune booster. Yes, and um, that was kind of it was working, and they were you know it was experimental. Like at, at one point in time, I was taking. 56 medications every single day um most of them were not fda approved um Mm -hmm. and they were just trying anything you know like everything Mm -hmm. they could and um you know which also you know experimental drugs are not covered by insurance so like our bills through the roof you know um Mm -hmm. our family actually lost our first house um largely due to my medical bills and uh Where was I at? So they started getting me on a treatment schedule. Mm-hmm. I was taking gamma globulin, the same amount that they pump into our soldiers when they were going to Iraq. Right. They were pumping the same amount as a 400 pound man into 70 pound me. And these oh. guys get this like, you know, once every six months, they would get a, a treatment of gamma globulin. Mm-hmm. And I was getting that same dosage every two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So that's really, really intense. And it's, oh, as a parent, your mom, oh my God. Very the strong. The woman, woman needs a crown. Of, oh, yeah. She, um, that's so intense. That is a parent's biggest fear of. I- as a you're parent. Wanting, as a, yeah, as a parent, you're wanting like, to save and fix and do and. I was terrified because it it's, it's a genetic disorder, so it mm-hmm. can be passed down through bloodlines. Yes. And I was terrified that my son was going to have it, you know. Um, so, like, when he hit three or four, like, those years of his life, I was terrified. Um, and he's six Did you years have a genetic now. test on him? Uh, no, we didn't, you know. No. Um, maybe we should have, but um, we were just kind of watching him, you know. Well, at and this we, point, you're good, right? Right. Yeah. And I talked to his pediatrician who was my pediatrician, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so he knew my history and he was like, look, you know, all you're doing right now is worrying. There's no signs. He seems very healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and we, we watched him and he went through all those and he's six years old. He's been around me with COVID. He's been around mm-hmm. his mom with COVID. He's been around school with kids that have COVID. He's never even had COVID. So like, obviously like this dude's doing way better yeah, than I even am. Just melts my heart. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, so di- diving back into that, we're almost mm-hmm. there. They had me on a treatment that was working. I just had to go to the hospital all the time. I practically, right. like you talked about before we started recording, I yes. but it wasn't five months. I basically lived at Children's Hospital for the first seven years of my life. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I knew the doctors personally. I actually, at the night of Massive Night of Rock, I have pictures that were signed by nurses that like knew me and was like, mm-hmm. you know, we hope you get better. Um, and uh, what was it? Um, oh yeah. Um, so that was going on for many, many years. And yes. then like a few weeks before my seventh birthday, we got me the flu shot. I always had like first access to it because mm-hmm. of my disorder. And I came down with the flu from the flu shot. They had the live vaccine and it, this was not a cold that I had to be in there for a week. The flu is much stronger, yeah. you know, and immunocompromised and elderly are more prone to dying from the flu. 
-hmm. and uh what little immune system i have it completely wiped it out uh my my white blood cell count dropped below 100 i was in the hospital from december of 2000 until mm -hmm. february of 2001 Right. And it was about that time where, you know, at, at that time, in that time where I was hospitalized for almost three months, mm -hmm. the gamma globulin treatments they were giving me started identifying my body as the problem and it started attacking my body. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's they had to stop that. That was our best hope at survival. And it was gone. That's what had been keeping me alive for years. And now we can no longer use it. So they were like, there's, there's nothing else we can do. Uh, uh, and that's when they set us up for palliative care. I'll never forget the day. Uh, I don't have a lot of memories from that time. You know, like a lot of them are blocked out, but I'll never forget. They treated me like an adult. You know, they yes. didn't go, they didn't go, Hey buddy, how's it going today? They'd be like, Mr. Carr, how are we feeling today? You know? And like as a seven year old. Uh, mm. And so I, I believe now that they did that as in a children's hospital mm -hmm. to prepare whenever I got the news, they could say, Hey buddy, we need you to stay in here so we can go talk to your mom. Yeah. But I was still a kid. So they talked yeah. to her right outside of the hospital room and um, they told her the news and she starts crying and I be haul it to the bathroom in my room and lock myself in there for three and a half hours. <laughs> Wouldn't, wouldn't come out. I was crying. They were like, baby, you need to come out. It's going to be okay. And I'm like, I'm going to die. It's not okay. You can't. And how old were you? Seven? Seven. Yeah. Wow. Um, finally came out. They set us up with palliative care and pain management. If I remember correctly, I think like for a few weeks, I had a nurse that would come over for every few weeks. And then my mm -hmm. mom, would, uh, she would have to, they taught my mom how to insert a vein. To in not not an IV. Okay. I mean, yes, an IV, but I actually I have a scar on my chest right here okay. uh, where I had a uh, a porticath that was attached to my aorta. Because on and top the porticath, of it goes right up under your skin. For everybody that doesn't know that, yes, it goes right up under your skin and goes in. Uh, it's it's kind of like a pick line. It's like an artificial do, vein. Yeah, so you don't have to keep inserting into veins that you know possibly well, blow out. Well, I got the porticath when I was like, I think five and a half or six. And mm -hmm. it's because on top of all the other issues I had, I also had collapsing veins. So there yeah. was like, when I got that, I got stabbed like 35 times. They tried to hit every single vein on both of my arms. They tried mm -hmm. to hit my hands. They even tried to tap my feet yeah. and they couldn't get it. And so they rushed me into surgery and got that. Um, yeah. And that, that's what I had from then on. Um, uh, so I had this and I was like, we tried everything. It's not going to work. Um, they set us up a palliative care. Someone came in. They taught my mom how to access the porticath to give me the pain management medication. Um, mm -hmm. We got set up with uh, Make-A-Wish. Uh, I'm not sure if it was Mississippi or National. I don't even know mm -hmm. if they had branches back then. Right. Um, I just know they, they came in. And um, it's it, what's funny is, you know, Massive Media went on WLOX. Mm -hmm. And um, I would have I was busy and I wasn't able to come, but I would have loved to be a part of that because yeah. WLOX actually covered my story when I was growing up. Wow. Yeah. Um, they covered. I my don't story. believe in coincidences. You should go on there now and talk to them. Uh, well, the, those are things that are outside of my hands. I, I, I'm not a part of the, the media conglomerate uh -huh. thing. 
Um, but if well, we I'm have putting it again, that out in the universe now, so yeah, there yeah. you go, guys, uh, get on it. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll we'll see. I, I can reach out to them and next time. There's some kind of make a wish thing, you know, because you know how news works. It's got to be something right. relative, or they don't care. Um, but it, it would be cool, you know, because they covered mm-hmm. it. Sun Herald, which is our local newspaper, covered it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a bunch of things like that, that, you know, they all, they all, someone in the station probably remembers the sick kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, um, that, that was all we could do. So we go to make a wish, we go to Disney world. And then mm-hmm. were you recording when I talked about what changed? No, I, I only started recording when I let you know that we were fixing to, cause I, we've talked so much already. I, I know. <laughs> um, so, I, I am a, I, for those that don't know, and our listeners that don't know, I'm a Christian. I'm the only Christian in my band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I respect all of them and their faiths and beliefs. They respect mine. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we come together on the, the central focus of we are here to bring positivity and love to people. And so like, you know, I think we have, um, someone in our band is like, uh, um, not, not atheist, but, um, agnostic um we have mm-hmm. one that's like the closest thing to his belief system is like buddhism you have mm-hmm. someone in our belief that has like nordic faith and mm-hmm. um and then there's me um right. but all of us together focus on the fact that we love people and we want people to help be better and mental health all those things and that's where our common root is um yes. and but a huge part of my faith and through all of my years, even in a time where I stopped going to church and I stopped identifying as a Christian, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd only still believed in God. And the reason for that was because um, of what happened to me as a child where they gave up. There was nothing they could do. And so we uh, I went to a Christian school at the time, mm-hmm. probably b- mostly because public schools wouldn't have put up with all the crap that you know, they had to put up. Well, with. They don't accommodate sick children. I've noticed that. Yeah. Um, you can only miss so many days, even with doctor's notes and, Dude, this, and, and this, the other and then truancy or. This school was so amazing grade. that, you know, um, what would happen is like, especially in that three months I was gone, mm-hmm. my dad um, would come and see us once a month and or mm-hmm. every two weeks, something like that, whenever he could. And right. he would go to the school and pick up all of my assignments, everything else. And mm-hmm. they would bring them there. My mom would teach me. We worked through all my homework. And then when he would come back, he would turn everything in that I mm-hmm. that I had. And the teacher would grade it and give me grades. Right. And uh, so okay. it was this, they were, they were incredible. The school doesn't yeah. exist anymore, but yeah. the lengths that they went to make sure that if I survived, I could still pass school, you know, yeah. like it was, it was wonderful. Um, Cause I know even sick kids, like there's a lot of them that they get held back or like so many things happen, like what they you were saying. Yeah. So yeah. I was very blessed to have that. Yes. Um, but this school was a Christian school mm-hmm. and uh, it was a, attached to the charismatic church. We mm-hmm. were all Lutheran, which Lutheran faith teaches that um, modern miracles don't happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't believe in that. Um, yes. But we were desperate and uh, the church would brought in a man that was known to lay hands on people, believe in faith in God and God would heal them. I'm talking like deaf people being able to hear lame mm-hmm. people being able to walk like modern, like 2000, you know, this is mm-hmm. what was happening. Um, and he was coming to the church that my school was attached to. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know what? Like, let's, let's go try. Like, we don't, we don't know. 
you know, and, and we've accepted that I'm probably going to die. My mom and I didn't, but you know, we, we accepted that unless barring a miracle, this was the end. So what, what could it hurt? Well, see, everybody needs to know if you have not picked up on it by now, Alex Carr is a walking testimony of being a miracle. Yeah. And that's we're getting, he's getting to um, exactly how that began. And, and that's, that's kind of what happened is, um, you know, we, we go there, we walk into the church and we're having service and like, I could, I could feel something different about mm-hmm. this man. You know, I, I knew that this was not like, not like any one that I'd ever met before mm-hmm. and he's preaching and normally how these services work for those of you who've never been to a charismatic church is, mm-hmm. uh, they'll have like worship service where they'll play some songs and people sing in response. And then, um, the, pastor will give an introduction the guest speaker will come up and he'll uh preach a sermon um Mm -hmm. and just talk about the bible different things like that and then at the end they usually say does anybody need to be need any prayer and that's Mm -hmm. usually how things go yes well this man was in the middle of his talk and i just get up out of my seat and walk to the front and it's almost like a like in the bible there was the the woman who had been bleeding which we now know is most likely she had she might have had endometriosis, you mm-hmm. know, um, but in the Bible, it talks about this woman who was bleeding for months and months and months. And mm-hmm. the doctors didn't know what was wrong with her. And she was bleeding so much. Like now there's treatments for endometriosis that you're, you're not going to die. It just sucks. And most of the time, the unfortunately, the treatment option is a mastectomy. Hysterectomy. Yeah, hysterectomy, not mastectomy. Mm-hmm. That's different yeah. body part. <laughs> Thank been you. there, done that. And that's exactly why I had to have that done. Yeah. And, uh, it, and it's tragic, but back then that didn't exist. So mm-hmm. endometriosis was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and this yeah. woman crawls out of her house and touches the garment of Jesus and was immediately healed. And it's, yeah. it's almost kind of like that where I like walked up there with my body completely failing me, just being surrounded by people. I was, I was living in a COVID world, right. Where just being mm-hmm. around people was a risk to my life. Yeah. And I walked up there and I touched his, jacket and i said excuse me sir i i really feel like god's going to use you to heal me and um he prayed (sighs) for me and you know he didn't that's all i said right he didn't know what i had he didn't know i had six months to live i just said i pray for me and he did and and he looked at me and he's like i feel like god's telling me that this is not going to be an immediate thing you're not Mm going to walk out of here and be brand new and i you know i was disheartened i was like why you know but he said it's going to take six months and he didn't know that that's he how long. Know, it was. Yeah. Wow. And, and over those six months when I should have been declining about three weeks after that, my mom stopped giving me the medication, stopped giving yeah. me the pain management because what they were, they were helping me be comfortable and then they stopped working. Mm-hmm. The, so like that was the first sign that something was different. You know? So the medication they were giving you to keep you comfortable stopped working. Right. Wow. Yeah. I started getting very sick from the medication. Yeah. And so okay. my mom was like trying to figure out what was going on. She called the doctors and mm-hmm. the doctors, of course, were like, well, you know, that's to be expected. He's dying. And she was like, I don't I don't think so. So she without against doctor's orders, which she actually it, we can talk about it now, but we couldn't then because yeah. she could have gotten child abuse charges for stopping my medication. <laughs> Oh, and that's terrible that they can just dictate that. But yeah, right. that is true. Um, but so we kept it hushed, but she stopped it for a day and I wasn't sick. So then she gives it to me the next day 
and I'm throwing up. I have diarrhea, you know. So she stops. She stops giving it to me entirely. She still wow. fills up the prescriptions, everything, and from all intents and purposes, it looks like. And it's funny. We I went to a dental appointment checkup. They mm-hmm. knew what was going on. They knew my history. And yeah. I was, like, getting my teeth clean. And they're like, yeah, I, I feel great. I don't take my medicine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I almost spit my dang coffee all over the computer, Alex. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she had to, like, explain away, like, what was going on. She's like, yeah, the doctor's changed his medication. But she, was, she wasn't lying. She was talking right. about the great physician, not the doctor right. in the hospital. Uh, and and uh, I just gradually got better. And then I went to get a checkup appointment six months later when I was supposed to be dead. And my white blood cell count was under 100 when they set me up with palliative care. Right. Then six months later, when it should have been, we need a death certificate, you know, and all that stuff. My white right. blood cell count was over a thousand. And so it had jumped and improved in that amount of time. Well, here's the thing for reference point, the average human being, especially at that age and with a healthy, strong immunosystem, Mm -hmm. their white blood cell count is anywhere from 600 to 800. So my thousand over a thousand, my, my white blood cell count went from non-existent to off the charts. Wow. Yeah. Um, so like not only not only did the procedure like the situation change, but I went mm-hmm. from having nothing to like extraordinary health to the point that it was two years before I even had a cold. And we're That's talking amazing. like where I was sick all the time. And to the point that I had two years of not having in a single immune system issue playing. I remember uh, we we left the church we were at because they looked at us and they looked at my parents. Cause we, you know, we went there and we we're like, God's so good. He healed our son. He's going to live all this kind of stuff. And the church board pulled my parents aside and they were like, you need to stop lying to our church congregation. You're causing unrest. You need to accept that he's going to die or you need to leave. So we left and we went to the church that I, I was healed. I'm I swear to God, that's what happened. And, uh, I know. And it's so sad because the whole, faith of really any religion any belief system is to have faith Mm -hmm. it's extremely (laughs) sad you know and i almost want to like but that pastor isn't at that church anymore the elders are probably all dead but i would like love to go back there and be like and you were saying you know (laughs) yeah Uh, i'm a walking living breathing very much alive miracle yeah uh, yeah, and, and in the new church, they had like some work day. And uh, so my dad was like helping to build something. And I was playing with one of the church kids there. And mm-hmm. we went to a ditch that was on the property and we got muddy and filthy. <laughs> you know, most parents would be like, you ruined your nice clothes. And I just remember my dad going like, I'm not mad at you. Son. And, I, and I think it's like, I think it's wonderful because two years ago, if you did that, we'd have to take you to the hospital. And, and now actually live. Now we put you in the shower and wash your clothes and you're okay. Yeah. Oh, my heart, Alex. <laughs> I knew this was going to be deep talking to you today. So I had to like mentally prepare myself, but just hearing parts of your story at the massive night of rock. Um, <clears throat> such a very 
Oh, touching, heartwarming, um, inspirational story of hope. And it's just not a story. It's real life. People give up so easily. And yeah. miracles do happen. And that's what yeah. I said there. You know, Always hold like, on to hope. Like we, we could have given up, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I believe that if we had that, that would have been the end. And, right. you know, and, and it, it still could have, it could have been the end, even not giving up, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. I've dealt with survivor's guilt most of my life. Like you told mm-hmm. me about your story. And mm-hmm. like, I, I remember Luke, the little boy that I used to play games with on the hospital floor. And then yeah. one day he stopped coming. And I told you about the little girl that was uh, across the room from me. And, you know, yeah. I was in the room when she went code blue, you know, yeah. and I, I, I think about like, this is a disease that thank God it's rare because the survival rate is 0.00001% and it's changed because of me. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm You're that percent. You're, yeah. Like yeah. to this day, the only treatment they have available for it gives the children cancer. Wow. So the only hope for the disease that I had was to is, is, disease. is improvement of gene therapy in the future. And that's, that's it. And gene therapy is still a technology that is very much in the works. And it could be another 20 to 30 years before it's not a death sentence. Yeah. You know, the average lifespan of a child that has severe immunodeficiency mm-hmm. is about nine years old. And it brings me to another point of when we were at Children's Hospital, <clears throat> I never left. I know it was only for five months, but we, I never left. Yeah. And... I know even the travel back and forth for parents and children that do have to leave and come back. Lots of them travel for hours, hundreds, thousands of miles oh, just to get We were to lucky them. that it was an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it could have been very differently. And even then, I told you that, you know, there's there's a side like, yay, I lived. But but now what? You know, mm-hmm. um, the all of those experimental drugs and I was on about 40 of them. Mm-hmm. All of those had astronomical costs that are not covered by insurance. Right. Um, the hospital visit, like insurance is not going to cover 100% of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my, we, I told you that we lost our house, had to file bankruptcy um, mm-hmm. and lived in poverty most of my life because of all the hospital bills. Fighting you know? to survive. And if I had died, those bills would still be there. Yeah. And, A lot uh, of people don't understand too that, when you think about children's hospitals and Make-A-Wish, magic moments, things like that, so much of those treatments, so much of those things that they do, it's not a corporation paying for those. Right. It's not a corporation that is standing there holding your child's hand when you're not there in case of an emergency or something you have to run do. Volunteers, donations, your time, your love. Right. I remember being at Children's Hospital for the five months, like I said, and it was so hard to make ends meet. It was so hard because you still have to buy food. You still have to travel expenses, medications. Um, You still have to pay your rent and utilities. And that's why I love things like... Life uh, doesn't stop. Also like Ronald McDonald House. Yes, Ronald McDonald House was a big one. I never left my son's room. Um, 
I did have that option, but he was so sick. I just yeah. refused to leave. I slept in. We were in the NICU for a while before he was transferred to a room and I slept upright. You're not allowed to sleep in there. So I would pull two chairs together, prop my feet up in it and lean my head back against the wall. Like I was just chilling. I would and have they, a book or something in my hand. They literally have security guards that will come around. You can't, you can't go to sleep. You can't go to sleep, but I refused to leave. So I found ways to work on um, that. And we had so many people from our community come around with <clears throat> warm, hot meals because literally most of the time, if you're in an emergency situation and you just up and run, you don't realize a lot of people don't have people to bring them clothes or food. Right. A lot of people might not have money to buy vending or cafeteria. Um, I was one of those people. And just the blessings of others kept me going to keep going for my kid. Um, yeah. Donations, time, love, volunteering. It's a reality. People do not understand how much it does help and what and, a difference it does make because. And even me, yeah, I'll never understand because I, I never lived the parent side of it, you know, yeah. and, and you're not going to tell your kid how hard, None it is of you, you know, and, and my no. mom, I will never know what my mom and dad went through taking care of me, yeah. you know. But uh, you can rest assured that they would have done more if they had to. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Alex, what an incredible story. And I'm so glad that you're still here with us. Now that now that we've gotten through that so much. Oh God, it's so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story. And Absolutely. people really need to hear that. Because people give up on miracles these days and they shouldn't because they happen. You're you're living proof. There, there's always hope, you know, and, and it's always hope it, it doesn't happen for everybody. And, and I, mm -hmm. I am not wise enough or smart enough to understand mm -hmm. the whys of how miracles get divided out. Mm -hmm. I just know that they do, they do happen. And, they do. Um, you know, and I, I think that people should, you know, hold on hope until mm -hmm. the very end. Yeah, Exactly. And make a wish and magic moments. And that's kind of what they're all about is just to give you some more hope, something to look forward to, to make you happy. And you know, I, uh, and I, uh, I just went to Disney world with my, with my son. And, mm -hmm. um, now I'm going to tear up because, uh, Aww. we, uh, we were going to ride a ride that we actually didn't get to because we, we, our queue got called for Guardians of the Galaxy, so we had to like walk out of the queue. Mm -hmm. but in uh, in front of me, oh, in line in Mission Space was a uh, oh, I, I think it was a it was a little girl, and she had a Make a Wish shirt on, and I just oh. was like, wow, you know, like where where is she now? That was two months ago. She yeah. she might not even be here anymore. And um, I remember that I was that kid, you know. So, so you never know, though. You yeah. never know. Wow. What an incredible story. 
Uh, sorry. You no, don't you dare apologize. <laughs> Absolutely not. I have fought back tears since I got on here with you. <laughs> I fought back tears the night that I met you because I'm like, wow, what an incredible story. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm I was very hesitant to ask. Um, <clears throat> but I'm like, nah, I'm gonna be myself. I'm bold. Let's do it. So <laughs> I'm so glad I'm you like, did. Yeah. Well, let's and talk. <laughs> say envision blows up at some point in time. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Um, again, I'm not wise enough or smart enough to know the hows and whys of who gets chosen for the big stages. Mm -hmm. But um, you'll have the honor and pleasure of knowing when people are digging into our history and trying to find out who we are. That this is <laughs> wow. the first broad span publication that has had this story. Wow, thank you so much for that honor. I'm truly, truly, truly just blown away and humbled. Uh, you I'm make my heart happy. I'm glad what makes asked. my heart happy truly is seeing you thriving. You are so happy. You're so ambitious and motivated and driven and <clears throat> inspirational. So I'm like, yes. Go, baby, go. <laughs> I get it. I have seen you just busy, busy, going, going, going. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah uh, something about Envision. When did you guys start? When did you decide um, to start a band? It's a complicated question. Um, more complicated than a lot of people because um, <clears throat> it goes into some more tragedy as well. So, um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Leave it to people, me, ask the hard questions. <laughs> a lot of people don't know Envision actually started as a solo project. I was Envision. Mm -hmm. That was my yeah. stage name. And uh, it was a rock, rap, EDM kind of like maybe similar. If I had grown in that brand, we would have been something like 21 Pilots. You know? Wow, okay. Um, so that that was kind of the direction I was going. I just wasn't very good at songwriting. Like They're all right, you know, and I yeah. still have my first EP is on my wall to the side of me. Um, but, um, it was just very different, but the reason I was mm -hmm. a solo artist, because people were like, Alex, you're a rocker. Why are you doing this? And and it's because I, I didn't want to be in a band again. I didn't yeah. want to have a band. I didn't want to work with other people. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is I had a high school band that we were pretty successful. We were, uh, courting a few record deals and we were courting a few management deals and, um, and we were like, 16 17 you know like mm -hmm. we were we were a punk rock band and this was back in you know 2008 2009 and the heyday of punk rock metalcore yeah. all that kind of stuff so we were like right there we could have we could have gone you know yeah and uh my guitarist went to serve our country and so my bassist moved to guitar and we shopped around and we found this talented young man his name was caleb beaver and he was with us for about six months and he had a pre-existing condition in his brain that was kind of under the radar. Nobody knew about it. And um, he was very active in his community. He was active in his church. Uh, he was active in his school. He was on the soccer team. And right before Thanksgiving Day, right before they went Thanksgiving break, he was a soccer practice and he got hit in the head like, right here with a soccer ball. And um, he like got knocked out. <laughs> And so they took him to the hospital, searched him out. Everything was fine. They sent him home. They probably should have done a CT because a month later, we went out for Christmas break. He, uh, I think, drove out with his family to see family in like Kentucky or somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. While he was there on Christmas Eve, 
he passed out. They didn't know what happened. Um, they didn't know why. So they rushed him to the emergency room and um, turned out that that little hit in the head, the uh, uh, um, concussion turned into an aneurysm. And uh, he bled mm. out in his brain almost immediately. They had him on a vent. And 24 hours later on Christmas Day in 2009, he uh, passed away on Christmas Day. Oh, my God. Um, I'm sorry, 2010. 2010. Because uh, this right here is Caleb mm-hmm. Michael Joe Beaver. Number five mm-hmm. is, uh, was his number. And Harrison yeah. Central, the high school that he went to, actually retired this number after that him. so beautiful that you honored him that way. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so, well, the, the thing was, like, like, him and I were brothers, and I still consider his family my family. We don't really talk anymore, but, you know, yeah. they do, too. They consider me family as well. And um, I used to go on mission trips, and he wanted to go on mission trips. So, like, every mission trip I ever went on, I took... He had the, the shirts that went out to help raise money yeah. for family, what we talked about earlier. And yeah. I still have them. And one of them was this red shirt with that soccer ball right here. And then it had, mm-hmm. you know, angel wings on the back and a little memorial to him. And I, I took mm-hmm. that with me on every single trip. And I was like, bro, if, if you can't live your dreams, then I'm going to live them for you. And, Alex. And, oh. then, um, and when I started making the band, because um, it, uh, it was 2020, I got with Nathaniel Churchwell. He's my drummer. Yes. His passion for the music was so intense as it was mine. It made me realize that as I got passionate, his passion grew to meet it. And I had, I took this moment. I was like, this is no longer about me. And that's when I finally relented and was like, let's make a freaking rock band. And uh, we wrote, she said, and went in the studio and recorded it with a producer who did the guitar on it because we didn't have a guitarist. Mm-hmm. And we still work with that producer to this day. And uh, when we got that back, we were like, dude, this is, let's do it. So we like found somebody to do guitar for the music video who he went on to play guitar with us for a little over a year. Um, and at the time we, it was like guitar, drums, me and a DJ. <laughs> and so we at the music video for our first three or four, you just have like some dude on a laptop, like rocking out with us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we kind of discovered our way there. Um, 2021, we were on tour in Oklahoma. I was visiting a friend who worked at a tattoo shop. And uh, I was I remembered that, you know, there was two dreams that Caleb had. And one was to do music. My turn. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I did it too. One of them was to do the mission trips. And I took him with me. And we went together uh, to several countries around South America. I've been on seven trips. Uh, Mexico, Peru. Colombia and Panama. And I visited several of those more than one times. And I took him with me on every single one of them. Um, and then as the band started touring and everything, and I was, I was like, I, I have another dream of his that I need to live out. And so I, I had this tattoo that, and now I wear sleeveless shirts. So like at every show, he's there. if you yeah. look back at our pictures, like, yeah. he's there, you know, and so I, I carry him with me on every single show that we do. Wow. And actually, um, I was I was really thankful because Chase wrote Amara, which is a song that we wrote about loss. Yeah. Um, him and I wrote that together, and I went up to him before we played at CPR Fest. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, 
I'm not, I'm not going to cry. A lot of people don't know how special CPR Fest was for me because I've played at the Coliseum before, not at CPR Fest, but I have played the Coliseum mm-hmm. before. Um, nothing short of everything was my high school band. Mm-hmm. We were pretty well known. Um, and like we told, we had, we were courting several different deals. And um, the last time I played at the Coliseum with a band, Caleb was on stage with me. And so at, at the end of CPR oh. Fest, Amara was the the second to last song we played. And I, I announced that, you know, we wrote this song. It was about loss. And we were dedicating that song and the entire performance to Caleb. Wow. <laughs> wow. You have been through some literally life altering events. Yeah. And I am just blown away, really, truly, at well, the strength that you have and your I, endurance. I think I've seen it somewhere that it says, like, you know, the people that are hurting the most work the hardest to make sure that other people don't go through that pain. I absolutely 100% agree with that statement. You know, and I, I think oh, that's why, because on top of all of that, I also suffer from bipolar depression um, and a few uh, anxiety and a few other mental health issues. <laughs> and um, I've worked very, very hard. I'm not on medication and I work very hard to keep all of those things under control. Cheers. Me too. Hey. PTSD, bipolar, manic depression and anxiety mood disorder. I will say that um, bipolar and depression, I'm, I'm, I have some systems that help keep me in line and I I've helped a few people with theirs to better manage it. Mm-hmm. But anxiety though, um, I've actually helped about seven people, two of which were on the verge of hospitalization from anxiety disorders yep. there. Wow. I've developed tools and systems that those people are now living functional lives and they're not being hospitalized from their anxiety and they're not taking medication. So like we should have another conversation sometime. Yeah, we that. absolutely will. Uh, because I, uh, I, I, I've that's one passion I've had is like, okay, I've beat this. This is how I did it. Let me teach you how how to do it. And to the point that um, I now use anxiety as a tool. Where mm-hmm. most people it's crippling, but I take mm-hmm. in like my brain is so weird that as soon as I understand how a mental illness works, mm-hmm. I use it to my advantage, and I use it yeah. like a tool. Um, and so, like with anxiety, I learned that once I learned how to control it, where I, I can switch it on and I can switch it off. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, let's say like I used to manage restaurants mm-hmm. and I was the best problem solvers in all of my stores and not just like creative problem solver, you mm-hmm. know, um, like one time we closed down the restaurant and as I went, I set the alarm and I went to walk out the door and the block broke on the door. Oh crap. <laughs> so like, uh- my I so I switched my anxiety on and I was like, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? And mm-hmm. I went to the um the CO2 tanks that are like wrapped around in chains, right? And I mm-hmm. disconnected the CO2 uh, chain, the chain, because they weren't gonna fall over, you know. Okay, yeah. I took the chain and I attached the chain from the front door that was broken, <laughs> wrapped it around, and attached it to like a a little metal grate that was on the side of the bar. And, uh-huh. closed and we went out the front door and that's just like one example of like <laughs> who would think to do that it's freaking <laughs> ingenuitive <laughs> that's amazing um and 
you know, and then we got it fixed the next day. But um, yeah. yeah, I was like, not, I couldn't call someone out at one o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> so yeah, and that's that's where I, I and so I have this ability to like figure out how to control these what would otherwise be um, uh, debilitating yeah, uh, illnesses. And I've learned how to use them as tools and I've learned how to teach other people to do that as well. And that's yeah. why last night we were at a venue and the venue was like, you guys were amazing. You were professional. Mm-hmm. But what impresses me is that your fans are some of the best fans yeah. we've ever seen. Uh, they come in here, they're professional, just like you. They're kind, just like you, um, and they're respectful of the environment as well as our bartenders. They told me that, you know, a few weeks before we we got there, there was uh, some band that their people like cussed out the bartenders and stuff, and you know, oh, yeah, and they were like, the people that you bring to your shows don't act like that, right? And then I, I was like, well, I, you know, we talk about mental health all the time. We're open and transparent, you know, like the kind of people we are going to attract are going to be phenomenal human beings like that. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Well, so Alex, shout out to is... the Broken Hearts Club. I told them today. I was like, absolutely shout out Broken Hearts Club. I'm glad to be in that group, by the way. It is such a loving environment to be in. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I, I actually made that group like four and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And um when I made it, if you look at the description, cause I haven't changed it is like, I don't want this to just be about envision. I yeah. want this to be a community where you all uplift and support each other as well as the music. And I think we're like, we're getting there to where it's this, this, it's almost alive in and of itself where there are people who are now friends because they're in broken hearts club and they all yeah. talk to each other. And absolutely. That, that's the dream. You know, that's, that's what I wanted to make is, is not just a community that's about this band, but a community that is there for and care for each other. Yeah. A loving family and support system. Yeah. That's why we tell them all the time. Like, welcome to the family, you know, you're (laughs) you're part of the broken hearts club now. Well, Alex, it has been such an honor and pleasure to talk to you guys before we get off here, which we're fixing to have to because of the time limit. But I want to remind everybody, be nice, love each other. You never know what someone is going through have no idea just because they have a smile on their face and up spirit upbeat and spirited and you have no idea what could be going on behind closed doors be kind love each other don't be mean (laughs) uh donate volunteer to make a wish magic moments children's hospitals uh, Ronald McDonald uh, McDonald house mcdonald's does a, a fundraiser every year for their their charity um, yeah. St. Jude's is a is a great one as well, you know. Yes. Um, so Absolutely. Pick one, and Children's uh, Harbor. Children's Harbor is another great one as well that um helps a lot of people through Children's Hospital. Terminally ill children. Yeah. I will say, like, I heard that disturbed uh <coughs> I think it was disturbed. No, Breaking mm-hmm. Benjamin. Breaking Benjamin uh granted a wish uh recently and went to the hospital. And I'll say, like, I doubt anyone oh. make a wish is gonna hear this podcast. Maybe they will, but like oh, dude, yeah. if this would be like way in the future, but I, I would say that like, dude, if, if a Make-A-Wish child wanted to meet me, you know, like I wouldn't mm-hmm. charge a dime. Put that to somebody else. I'll fly out at my own expense and I will go oh, meet whoever wants to meet me. That is amazing. Yeah. Like, love it, love it, love it. And I don't know that they did. I'm not talking bad about break. I think that's beautiful that they did that. I'm just saying for me personally, yeah. if I was involved in a wish in any way, shape or form, mm-hmm. like whatever you were going to pay to get me out there, 
just yeah, put that to somebody else. Yeah. So Make-A-Wish is definitely going to be um, made aware of this interview because I'm tagging the hell out of everybody. Just hell so yeah. You know. um, <laughs> thank you for such for such an honor and pleasure of being on and talking with me. Absolutely. It was very important to me, and I really appreciate your time that you took to do this. So I'm I'm really thank glad we got to do it. Now we'll have to come back another time and actually talk about the band. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. We are definitely going to do that. Um, so Envision guys, check them out on all your listening platforms. Check them out on YouTube. Everywhere you can stream, listen, buy the merch. That's the biggest way to support your fans. Yeah, buy the and, merch and tell them buy the albums. Um, streaming is great, but um, if you really want to support them, buy the merch and the albums. And if I do say so myself, we have some pretty sick designs on our website. They really do. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mostly like, you know, I designed most of them. So <laughs> <laughs> you do you really yeah. That's amazing. And also check out um the Broken Hearts family on Facebook. Yes. Media, so. Yeah. Welcome to the family. Yeah, welcome to the family. It has been an honor and pleasure, Alex. Thank you so much. And I send so much love. Stay right there. I'm gonna stop recording and we're gonna chat for just a second. And I know you've got to do a few things, so be right back. Thank you for joining us, everybody. This is Southern Flame, Don McIntyre with The Loud Spot and Alex Carr from Envision. This is The Loud Spot outro by Nothing Short of Tragic. Is this all talk with no action? No. Is this my thoughts with distraction? No. Is this what I bought that's in fashion? Or is this The Loud Spot with Sebastian? Yes. Does Nothing Short of Tragic have his back again? Yes. Does everything that's good really have to it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.